Good evening. It's a pleasure to be with you again uh, this day and a privilege to be able to <coughs> speak of God's word to you and to gather in worship. Uh, quite, quite significant, I have to say, for us, uh, if for no other reason that this is uh, humanly speaking, as far as we know, the last uh, Sunday we will be in Scotland and actually the last uh, time I'll be preaching here in Scotland at least for some time. Uh, so it's a great privilege and a blessing and uh, to again share friendship with um, your, uh, your minister and, and his family and it's great, good to be here. Some words from the book of Joel. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. This was Israel's hope. This is our hope too, that the Lord, surprising us, continues to do for us great things, despite of us, despite the fact that we do not deserve he continues to do great things for us. And he changes the circumstances of our lives. Often circumstances uh, we have brought, negative uh, circumstances we brought uh, on ourselves. But he restores our uh, lives. And so we praise him using words that speak to us about this in Psalm 126 in the Scottish Psalter. Psalm 126 When Zion's bondage God turned back As men that dreamed were we Then filled with laughter was our mouth, our tongue with melody They did not deserve, of course, for their bondage to be turned back As we don't deserve God's blessings to our lives That is, in ourselves But God does it and he continues to do it daily. So let us praise God using this word. When, God, when Zion's bondage, God, God turned back and so on.
this thought in our heart let us uh, come to the Lord in prayer let's unite in prayer Lord our God we rejoice in the fact that you are the God who restores us the God who has come near to us in Jesus Christ to give us salvation but also the God who daily restores us and picks us up for we confess our God that as we look into your word we have to recognize that we do not walk according to our high calling in Jesus Christ as we should and that is something that often causes us to be downcast but you God you are the one who restores us the one who comes to our help and picking us up sets us on our way again and directs our eyes to you to what you have done for us giving us peace and giving us strength Lord we thank you that once again this day we can gather around your word with the assurance that you speak to us through your word with the certainty that the scriptures are all breathed out by God with the assurance that those who wrote though they kept their personalities and they were not like a dictating machine they, they wrote, led, moved by the Holy Spirit and that in the scriptures we do have a reliable testimony of what God has spoken and speaks to us today and so as we approach this time we pray that our thoughts as they would be directed to your word that you would give us understanding that you would help us to think on these things rightly and that you would apply that you, in your mercy you would apply your truth to our lives that we would grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ bless us Lord we pray we need your blessing we need uh, your direction we need your care but we thank you that we have been promised these things and that all these things that we do need and that we expect and desire from you they do not depend on our feelings but they depend completely on the fact of your promise and the reliability of your word and Lord as we think about the privilege that we have and as we enjoy the comfort of meeting in this beautiful building and in this comfortable place we remember our brothers and sisters in Christ in many places in the world where they suffer for righteousness sake where they have to or they are prevented from meeting for worship or if they do meet they do so in fear for their lives even or in fear of great difficulties if others find out about their faith Lord we think of them as they try to witness uh, for Christ how easy it is for us and how remiss we are to do so as we should and we pray for them, for our brothers and sisters in places where there is persecution for they also want to lead others to Jesus 
to the Savior. And yet often they have to do so in, in, in very difficult situations. And sometimes even in, uh, with great care. And so we pray, Lord, that in your mercy you would sustain and help. That you would give and provide for uh, the things that they lose because of their allegiance to Christ. And Lord, we pray not only for them, but for those that oppress them or those that seek to harm them. Oh Lord, may in your mercy use the very testimony of their lives to realize the foolishness of their ways. To realize how serious it is to persecute Christ. For as Paul, or rather Saul, had to hear he was persecuting Christ in persecuting the church. And it was a foolish thing to kick against the goats. Lord, we pray that those who oppress them would see the error of their ways. But not just so that they would be able to live in, in peace, but that their testimony would have an impact in their lives, in the lives of those that seek their harm. They would be convicted of their evil doings. And they would be reached with the gospel that our brothers and sisters preach and live. Lord, we thank you for your blessings to us. And we pray once again that you would bless the ministry of this congregation. That you would cause it to grow. To grow in numbers. To grow in the knowledge and the grace of Jesus. To grow in character and that it would be the experience of each one that gathers here around your word to see how the word makes an impact in our lives and it leads us in the way that we should go. And Lord, we pray for those who can't be here at this time. We ask for your blessing on them. We pray for those that uh, have no desire maybe to be here at this time, being able to do so and knowing that it is a privilege and a blessing to do so. We pray, Lord, that you would work in their hearts. And Lord, we pray for those that are prevented from being here for, uh, because of illness or, uh, or old age. We ask, Lord, that in, uh, in their own places, their own homes, even if they're joining uh, in some other way in services, that they would experience your blessing and your comfort and your strength. So lead us, Lord, we pray. Bless us as we consider your truth. Help us to see ourselves in the light of your thoughts and not ours, that we may grow in our walk with Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Two readings again. The first one, oh, sorry, we sing first. Uh, um, we sing first in Psalm 60, 97. In the new version, in the Sing Psalms version, Psalm 97, and we sing verses 1 to 7. The Lord reigns, let the earth be glad. Let distant shores express delight. Clouds and thick darkness cover him. His throne is built on truth and right. Let us praise our God with these words.
Let us read now God's word first in the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel and we read there from verse 16. Ezekiel at verse 16 and we read on to verse 32. Ezekiel 16, uh, 36, I'm sorry, from verse 16 to verse 32. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land, for the idols with which they had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed through the countries. In accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. In that people said of them, These are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules." You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses, and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. And what the prophet is highlighting here is, of course, that God's acts even God's acts of redemption are directed at his own glory. He fulfills all his purposes 
for his people according to his promises but that is for his glory and for his praise and also we read in that same direction in Romans chapter 6 Romans chapter 6 from the beginning Romans 6 from the beginning to verse 14 what shall we say then are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means how can we who died to sin still live in it do you not know that all, who, all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. This is God's word. We praise him for giving it to us. Now before we sing again, now from, and then from Psalm 119, let us join briefly in prayer. Lord our God, we come to worship you. We come to praise your name. We come to acknowledge your majesty, your greatness, and your total dependence on your mercy. And we come, Lord, to consider the scriptures with the need of being built up through them. We thank you, our God, that you call all your children to works of, to, to works of service, to be ministers in this world. But, Lord, we pray that you would build us up, that you would equip us as we consider your word that it would do us good that it would, it would prepare us so that we may fulfill the calling to which we have been called to, to testify to witness of Christ not just with our words but also with our ways 
So bless us, Lord, we pray. May the Spirit of God be at work in us, and as uh, the Scripture is considered, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, our God, our Redeemer. Amen. Let us sing then from Psalm 119 in the Scottish Psalter, uh, the section that begins at verse 41. A psalm that, as you know, is felt with exhortations in connection with the Word of God. And here uh, the, psalmist, uh, the psalmist acknowledges uh, at, at the very beginning. It is through God's mercy. Uh, God's mercy is to visitors, to be with us so that the word, even the word, would have an impact in our lives. So, verses uh, 41 to 48 in Psalm 119.
you turn, please, if you have got your Bibles, to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And we'll think about some of the things we have read here in this portion of Scripture. The term fifth column was coined by Emilio Mola. He was a nationalist general during the Spanish Civil War uh, when he told a journalist in 1936 that as his four columns of troops approached Madrid, a fifth column uh, of supporters inside the city would help him undermining the Republican government from within. The term was uh, widely used at, at the time in Spain and uh, American author Ernest Hemingway used it as a title of his only play and so it became quite known uh, everywhere. It became used uh, widespread. It's generally used to refer to any group of people who undermine a larger group such as a nation or a besieged city from within. Uh, though some reserve it only for military uh, operations. The Apostle at the beginning of uh, chapter 6 of this letter to the Romans begins to write about the enemy's fifth column. You see, there is a fifth column. Now, but before we look uh, into this issue, uh, let me just review very briefly what the Apostle has been writing up till now in this letter to the Romans. Uh, from the, let's say, middle of chapter 1 to chapter 3 uh, and verse 20, there is a realistic but also devastating picture of man's predicament. Uh, we all are sinners. The man with the Bible in his context, the Jews, the man without the Bible in the context of Paul, the Gentiles, both are sinners and both deserve God's righteous judgment. And as a consequence from this righteous judgment, a sentence of condemnation, none is exempted from this. Then from verse 21 in chapter 3 to verse 25 in chapter 4, there is a true and filled with hope explanation of the one and only solution to this problem. It is God's solution. By the grace of God through Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done, there is salvation to be received by faith, since nothing we do will reach the standard Demanded. This Paul explains, of course, in much greater detail. Then from the beginning of chapter 5, there is an unfolding exposition of the consequences of justification by faith. There is peace with God and much more. And as the Apostle continues, we realize, as we read the letter, and as we study this letter, we realize that he does something um, like, you know, those, those dolls, these wooden dolls that, um, that you open uh, one half and there's inside one that's 
uh, almost exactly as the one outside. And you keep opening till you get a very small thing. And so Paul seems to be doing this, to be opening and opening and opening more and more of the implications of this great salvation of which he begins to, re- or, or he begins later referring to when he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul, in a way, is departing from specifically the issue of justification by faith, unfolding the consequences it has. And now he comes to another idea. The justification by faith results in holiness. But Paul approaches this idea stating very clearly that Justification by faith has already resulted in holiness. For the believer is made righteous with the righteousness of Christ. And there is, of course, no degree of holiness greater than that. For it is a holiness that is tied, that is linked to the righteousness of God himself. This is what I've just read. It is the righteousness of God. The gospel, it is the righteousness of God. It is not a righteousness attained by us in any way whatsoever. Not even with God's help. But it is his own righteousness, his own absolute perfection, his own holiness. We are not in any sense justified because of something that God does in us but because of something God does for us. The result is that we are holy in Christ. And this is the way that you read the letters begin, don't they? Have you, have you ever read a letter in the New Testament addressed to the sinners, believers in Jesus in Thessalonica? Or to the sinners, believers in Christ in Ephesus this is not what we read you read to the saints even in Corinth and when you read the letters to the Corinthians especially the first one I'm sure that your minister as I would have would have also always prayed Lord please let not my congregation be like that of the Corinthians you don't want that but even then were addressed to as saints. This is the result of that we are holy in Christ. Truly holy. You are a saint and your name behind it. But this holiness which is true of those who are in Christ is also to be lived in the believer's experience. Now Paul deals with the application of what this means in very practical ways from, ver- from chapter 12 onwards. But here, he is giving us some key ideas that are essential so that we look at ourselves as we should, not as we sometimes think we must. The question Paul is addressing is how? How is it possible for such as we are to deal with such a high calling? How is it possible for such as we are first to see ourselves as saints and then to even attempt 
to live. As such, what is the frame of mind that needs to govern us in order to live from such a perspective? Well, the first thing that Paul seems to be saying is, now, be aware that there is a fifth column. Be aware that there is something dwelling in your members. Paul refers to that uh, in connection with himself. Look at chapter 7 and verse 23. That's what he says. And he's the apostle. He's not just the average member of a congregation. He's the apostle. He, he says very clearly, I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. What attitude are we to have? How is it possible? If, if there is this fifth column that's a law of sin dwelling in our members, how are we to think about these things? I'd like to consider briefly three principles to bear in mind as we are involved in the struggle for holiness or in our desire for holiness. Three ideas. The first one is that we must keep on believing our completed transfer. Secondly, we must keep on believing our new position. And thirdly, we must keep on believing our true potential. Now, as we begin looking at these things, I would like to point out that as the Apostle writes about this, as the Apostle discusses this issue of holiness, sanctification, and so on, he does not begin by giving us a list of do's and don'ts. That's what we would expect. Uh, at least in some circles, this is what we would expect. If you want to uh, have holiness, or if you want to reach out to holiness, if you want to live out this holiness, then do, 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 don't, 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 don't. But this is not what the Apostle does. Actually, the first imperative that we find in this passage of Scripture that, that we have read is not at the beginning, but it's in verse 11. It's the first imperative. And in, it's not an imperative that's related to doing or not doing. It's an imperative that has to do with our thinking. So you also must consider yourselves. He's not saying do this, do that. He's saying think in this way. Think in a certain way. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And the word consider is a word that in, in English, or the word logic is related to it. Um, so in a way, though in Greek it has a couple of uses, in a way what Paul is saying is think according to logic. Be logical in your thinking. Be coherent in your thinking on the basis of what you have read so far. What you have read so far is about justification by faith. What you have read so far is about the transformation in our relationship with God that has come through Jesus Christ. What, what you have read so far is the peace that there is with God through faith, through justification by faith. Now, think coherently with everything 
that you have read. So the first thing, as we try to think coherently, is this. Keep on believing in our completed transfer. Paul elsewhere says you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It is not a process that it's taking place. It has taken place. It's not something that has to do in any way whatsoever with your experience, but with the fact of what God has done. So keep on believing in your transfer. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? I'm sure you've read something similar um, to the impact of a transfer, of an unexpected one, um, especially at this time of the year when the transfer season in football has just ended. Uh, some player or other comment, or some commentator coming out and saying, I can't believe it. What is it you can't believe? Well, I've been transferred from, I don't know, a second division team to FC Barcelona, which you know is the best team of the world. And uh, uh, I can't believe it. Well, you may not believe it, but it's a fact. It has happened. Maybe yesterday you, weren't, you didn't know that it was going to happen and that it was a fact, but it has happened. It's got nothing to do with what you sense or you feel. It has to do with the fact that a contract has been signed, a stamp has been placed on it, and it is an accomplished thing. And this is what Paul says here. Look at in chapter, in verse 2, he, he writes about believers having died to sin. Not having to die to sin but having died the sin. It's something has, that has happened. You have been really transferred. You have been truly transferred. You were out of the game. Now you are in it. Again, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are all these things. It's not a process. It's not something that needs to be happening. It may have an impact in our lives, yes, but it is something. It's a fait accompli. It is there. And here the tenses of the verbs are important to you. You see, Paul says, you died to sin. How shall we live in sin? How, how could this be a reality? That if you died in sin, you should live in it. Now, it's interesting that the apostle in verse 2 is not referring to sinning, but to living in sin. I think that there is a difference in, in, the, in the emphasis that is made in some places where living in sin is like a state of being, but sinning an act of our lives. 
And what Paul is here saying is, well, you died to sin. You actually died. If you've been justified by faith, if you are one of Christ's, if you are a believer in Christ, you died to sin. Later on he will say, sin has no longer dominion over you. Why? Because you died to it. Now you may be thinking, I know what happened yesterday. I know what I thought yesterday, or maybe today. I know what I felt, or what I desired, or what... Uh, I know. You may not know it, Marcos, but I know. Well, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm thinking the same about me. But I died to sin. And I'm asked by the Apostle here, consider, think properly, keep on believing in your completed transfer. Nothing is lacking, nothing more needs to happen or be done. You have been transferred to the kingdom of his son. You are holy, you are a saint. The second thing is that we must keep on believing our new position. Where we stand. And the apostle illustrates this through baptism. Let us read again verses 3 and part of verse 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. You see, Paul is using an illustration and then referring to a reality. And the illustration is, of course, baptism. Uh, he, he wants his readers to keep on believing what has happened to them and the new position that they have. And he illustrates it, first of all, through baptism. It's a reality of the fact. And as Paul writes to a congregation that he has never visited, he, he can use something that they have heard and that they have experienced, baptism. A commentator tells us of how the words used by Paul were most likely part of an early baptismal rite. And uh, he comments in this way, a bit longish uh, quote, but bear with me. It's from R.C. Sproul, the late American theologian. We have lost touch with the riches of the sacraments that God has given to his people. Luther used to say when the devil would tempt him, get away from me, I'm baptized. Baptism is not what saves us. But in our baptism, God gives us a tangible sign of his promise of redemption. All the processes that are wrought through the redeeming work of Christ are contained in that sign. Baptism is a sign of our being regenerated by the Holy Spirit. It does not affect regeneration, but it is a sign of it. It is the sign of God's promise that all who believe will in fact be justified. It is a sign of our sanctification. It is the sign of our being indwelled by the Holy Spirit. It is a sign of our glorification. It is a sign of our identification with Christ. We are in Christ and he is our champion. 
Paul says that if we are believers, if we have received the grace of justification, baptism is a reminder of our union in the death and burial of Christ. We are not only baptized into his death and burial, but also we are baptized into his resurrection. All these things are part of what is being communicated graphically with the sign of baptism. That is why Luther, when he was uh, challenged by uh, the evil one, uh, when the devil would come to tempt him, would say, get away from me, I am baptized. You see, baptism includes all, in, in a figurative way, in a symbolic but real way, as a sign, includes all these things of which this theologian writes. And this is what Paul does here, isn't it? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism. That is, those who, chapter 5, have been justified by faith, those who are believers in Christ, we have been buried with him by baptism into death. It is a fact. It has happened. All of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. And we were baptized also into his resurrection. We were baptized into him, into his life. The life I now live, writes Paul, is the life of Christ. I'm in him. He's in me. The union that is between the believer in Christ is a union that is absolute and perfect and unbreakable. You are in him. I am in him. This is my position. None other. I am in the Redeemer. And as God sees me, he does not see the Marcus Florid that fails and is flawed, but he sees his son. And do you remember what God said about his son on more than one occasion? When God saw his son after his baptism, he said, This is my beloved son, in whom I am. Remember the words? If it be a charismatic church, you would be shouting it back to me, Well pleased, right? But this is what God said. I am well pleased. And if you are a believer in Christ, if you have been justified by faith, by God's grace, God looks at you, whatever the weather, and he says, I am well pleased with you. Because who I see is Christ, you clothed in his righteousness, in his perfection, in his beauty. That's the way that Jesus saw the disciples. When he washed their feet, who did he see there? He saw those that, because of his love, those he would die for, those he would bring into his fold, those who would be clothed with his perfection. And you see, he loved them. I dare to say with all respect, he could do no other thing but to love them because they were to be clothed in his perfection. And God is delighted 
with his child. And so what Paul says is the reality is that difficult as it may be for you to fully integrate this into your thinking, you, you, you are resurrected. You see? Look at the, the words, how Paul writes. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Just as Christ. Now you remember, when Christ was raised from the dead, it was obvious that he was the same one, but also different. And yet he was not in a sense how he was to be because the exaltation was to follow. The ascension and the exaltation uh, was to follow. And that comes, I think that we have a glimpse of that in the first instance in the experience of Paul. When he saw the risen Christ, it comes across to us as somewhat different to what the disciples saw. And surely, when John had the vision in the Revelation, Jesus, he was the same, of course, was recognized after the resurrection, but somewhat different. And yet there would be a one more different. And I think that Paul is using this thought when he writes, it is just like Christ. We are no longer as we were, but we are no, not yet what we shall be like. Not longer what we were, but not yet what we shall be like. You are risen. We are raised already with Christ. And so we must keep on believing that this is our new position. Our experience sometimes contradicts that, and Paul himself acknowledges this in chapter 7. He's not under the delusion that he'll be uh, somehow and someday attaining practical, let's say, holiness. He's not under that delusion. Sin dwells in him. There is this fifth column that's bothersome. But that's not the reality. The reality is that we died with him, we were raised with him, we sit with him at the right hand of God. We are in the heavenlies, blessed in Christ, with him we are in the heavenlies. We must keep on believing our new position, but also, of course, we must keep on believing our new potential. See what Paul writes. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. All of this has happened so that you may walk as you should. Paul is not saying here that um, there is a tremendous effort to be done because it's a nearly impossible task to attain, but Paul is stating the fact of what is possible. And we need to keep on believing this new potential. There has been a transformation. There has been. 
Although there is surely a challenge, there has been this transformation. There is in us a new desire, a new dynamic. There was a time, maybe, if you came to faith in Jesus Christ, let's say from the outside, having no connection with the gospel uh, previously, it may be that there was a time when you uh, went around sinning quite happily. Well, bad news or good news, this is no longer possible, is it? There might have been a time when you could go on not thinking about the things of God quite happily and just go on with your life. Well, it's no longer possible. Why it is no longer possible? Because there has been a transformation and there is a new dynamic in your life. There is a new potential. This is what Paul refers to quite often when he refers to the need of putting off that which is old and putting on what is new. The possibility is there. The power is there. Why? Because as Paul writes, the power at work in us is none other than the power at work in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can you think of a greater power? It's not, it's not just the raising back to life of one who died. But it is the raising back to life of one who had been condemned. Of one who experienced hell itself for us. This power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in you, is at work in me. Keep believing it. Keep trusting that what God says is so, is so. Keep believing this new potential that there is in your life. And when the fifth column comes and bothers you and brings distress to your life, keep thinking. Keep doing what God through Paul tells us to do consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus consider yourself as such because this is actually what the reality is Lord our God help us to think properly about ourselves so often we doubt what you say about us we acknowledge and confess our God that often uh, sin that dwells in us comes out winning that we give in and we need to acknowledge that in ourselves, in our own strength we could never be successful but oh Lord we pray that you would help us to keep before our thoughts, keep in our minds this reality that, that we are who, of who we are in Jesus Christ. Help us to keep on believing that we have truly been transferred to your kingdom, thinking in this way all the time that we are a holy nation, that we are not, that we should not think about ourselves, though, though this is who we are, that we should not think about ourselves as sinners saved by grace, but as saints, as those who are clothed with the beauty and perfection and the loveliness 
of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to keep on believing that we are in Him. Indeed, as as your servant Paul wrote, that we are in, blessed in the heavenlies with every blessing that Christ has is ours today. Fully, to be experienced fully in time, but they are ours today if we are indeed believing in Jesus Christ. And help us, Lord, to keep on believing in the new potential, the new dynamic that there is in our lives, because it, it's not ours. It's not a dynamic that we generate or uh, that we attain. It's this new dynamic, this new desire, this new aspiration that is within us because of the power at work in our lives. The Holy Spirit raised, that power that raised Jesus from the dead. Help us, Lord, to think properly about ourselves because doing so is at the end. Believing what you say, not what we think. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Left to our enemies, we would constantly fall, and certainly left to the fifth column, more so. And so the psalm in uh, Psalm um, 11, no, sorry, what am I saying? Don't panic, it's 10. Uh, Psalm 10. Uh, and Psalm 10 in uh, Sing Psalm's version uh, makes reference to this the need for God to arise, uh, to lift up His hand, to help us not to forget those that, like we are, we are poor in ourselves. We are uh, helpless and in ourselves we do not have the resources. We are poor. But God intervenes. And as God intervenes, things change. You defend, the psalmist ends saying, you defend the fatherless and those who are oppressed. You do that and you give us your help. So let us sing uh, verses 12 to uh, 18 in Psalm number 10. Arise, Lord God, lift up your hand.
now hear God's blessing as we read these words. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.